welcome back to Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Mark Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Well, baseball season is finally here. Well, we think. We think it is. Chris Lamont was talking with the media yesterday. Mississippi State expected to fly out today, heading over to Dallas. They'll play Saturday, Sunday, Monday against Texas, TCU, then Texas Tech. And, Charlie, I tell you what, man, it seems like it was just last week. A lot of stuff's happened since the last time we saw each other down at MGM Park in Biloxi watching Mississippi State and Texas Tech play baseball. Boy, hasn't it, though? Uh, not enough baseballs happened during that time, though. You know, we had to watch a little MLB, and we had to talk with a lot of old state guys. It's going to be really nice. We've kind of forgotten how to do a show, by the way, with actual games to talk about. Yeah, just to kind of preview a game. That feels weird. I, I was just going to show up in the studio today and – Hey, who have we got to talk to? And it's Gene Morgan. If, if you're going to listen to the show, make sure you listen later in the show to Gene Morgan. Of course, 1984-1985, big part of that Mississippi State pitching staff. And, of course, a lot of folks will tell you that line drive that he took off the ankle against Texas. He was the last starter on the mound for Mississippi State the last time Mississippi State played Texas. Isn't and that crazy? That is nuts, that it's been man. that long. In fact, you look at this whole weekend. Texas Tech we just played. That's the team we faced most recently. TCU never played them. How does that happen? I have no idea. And Texas, not since 1985, after we had been there in 83 for a regional, how does Mississippi State and Texas – not by accident, run into each other somewhere along the way. Well, I know Texas Tech. We played Texas Tech, remember, over in Atlanta in the NCAA Regional. We played them recently here in Startwell in two games. Last year, we played them down in Biloxi. I mean, we've seen Tim Tadlock. We've seen Texas Tech. We've seen the Red Raiders. And But how nuts is it? You know, it's funny. Texas, they played Southern Miss in the College World Series. They played Ole Miss in, what, 2005 in a Super Regional. And it's just nuts that we have not run upon Texas who went on to win the College World Series that right? Didn't yeah, they? Did that year, did 2005. They? they were kind of unranked, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. But anyway, State against Texas on Saturday. And, Charlie, here's the thing that we really haven't talked a whole lot about, and so much has been talked about with Mississippi State getting out to play. Would you be able to find a, an airport with a runway to take off? But the whole question, to be honest with you, if you've been following anything that's been going on in the Dallas-Fort Worth area – it's not about Mississippi State being able to get out. It's about what's going to happen when you get there. Yeah, Dallas, Texas, and that entire area right now is a complete mess, even on a much, much bigger scale than we're seeing here. You know, just locally in Startville today, there's still ice on the roads, but they're passable for the most part, except for the fact that there are tree limbs down, there are tree limbs falling, there's a water main that burst. So a lot of those things are going on in Startville, in Jackson, in places around North Mississippi where you've got challenges. You've had power outages. But what the Dallas Metroplex area has seen over the past few days is that on a much, much bigger scale. Three days ago, they had 2.5 million people without power. As of recently as yesterday, they were having rolling blackouts throughout the day. Some people in Grapevine were going a, a, an hour on and an hour off as far as being ha having the ability to have power. So not only do you ask yourself, do you have the ability to get to a stadium? Do you have the ability to get to a hotel? Because the hotels are filling up out there with people who don't have power. 
And then some of those hotels are having pipes burst. And so it's a lot of issues there. But then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, what's the optics of that look like? If you got 2 million people who don't have power, well, now that number is now, you know, 150,000. But at that time, if you had over a million people without power, 2 million people without power, how does it look to have a baseball tournament in downtown Arlington. Well, in fact, we've seen the NHL, we have seen the NBA cancel games as recently as today dealing with that very issue. What are the optics of us trying to play hockey in a place where people haven't had power? And here's the other thing, and we're going to see this around our area too. A lot of the damage from storms like this, from icing events, isn't known until things start thawing out. Yes, sir. Because when you turn your faucet and the water doesn't come out that doesn't mean there's a loss of water pressure it means that there's some freezing and sooner or later that water is going to be coming out that's happening all across dallas i've talked to a number of people in that area who are dealing with busted pipes who are dealing with limbs that have fallen on their houses it's going to be a mess now as we sit here now looks like we're going to be able to play i hope so hey along those lines about plumbers those guys are about to make some change. Oh in the next my week. goodness! Electricians, the electricians, plumbers, roofers. Yes, sir. You know it's funny. It's really not funny, but a guy who's a local plumber, a guy that's kind of known in this uh, in in the city of Startville, has one digit different than my cell phone, and I've already gotten a call. And let me tell you something: when when you pick up the phone and say hello, because I usually answer the phone no matter who calls. Well, that would be a distinction between you and me. You answer the unknown number. Absolutely. I want to, I want to see if I can really get that good deal on my extended warning. <laughs> but, any, but anyway, people are always called, and when you say hello, they always start in, man, I've got pipes busting everywhere. I need your help. And what do you say? Hey, I'm sorry. You got the wrong guy. I'd help you if I could. I'd bring something over there to help you if I could. I'd bring a bucket, but I can't help you. It's been a funny week around Startwell. Some people have taken it a little bit too far. We've seen skiers down University Drive. We've seen a lot of people, you know, flying around in kayaks downtown. It's just different. People have a little bit of fun because we're not used to this. And and we've had some impassable roads (laughs) here on campus. And, of course, you got guys, you got kids all over campus right now, and they cancel classes throughout the week. And there are no trays at the Perry Cafeteria for them to go steal and slide down hills anymore, apparently. Let me tell you this. I know it's all for the betterment of the university, but where Old Main Classroom Building is right now, it's a travesty that Mississippi State kids of today <laughs> can't get a cafeteria tray and slide down that big hill behind the old post office. Boy, you had to put the brakes on before you hit subtle, though. Oh, my goodness. You had to have somebody standing at at subtle to stop you. (laughs) Somebody standing at subtle to stop you. Okay, so coming into the weekend, Mississippi State, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech. Let's think about us for a minute. Chris Lamontis talked to the media yesterday. Of course, we're set at a lot of positions right now. We start looking around the field, everything kind of coming into play. You've got you know, Hatcher at first, Brule at second, Cameron James at short. The question mark is third base. And yesterday, Chris Lamontis talked about, hey, I, I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be a situation of situationals. It's going to be matchups. Landon Jordan, Kellum Clark, he talked about Kellum Clark, how he's hit the ball well over the last couple of weeks. And here's the thing that we learned from Chris Lamonis. He's not a guy that's going to bury you on the bench 
if you're playing well at that time, and it happened with Landon Jordan a couple of years ago, if you're performing well in practice, you got a chance to play at that position. Yeah, so I'm curious. Who do you think we see at third base? you think it's going to be Forsyth? you think we're going to see one of the guys who's a veteran? I feel like this team early on is going to have to be built around defense. You, you buy that? Absolutely, with the starting pitching. And, you know, word is Forsyth can pick it over there. But then the question becomes – I mean, I'm I'm telling you, Charlie. That's that's a good question. Is it defense, or is it? Are you trying to find something in the lineup? Are you trying to find some runs here and there? Because yeah. building but, around defense is a lot of fun until you've been no hit through five, right? It is. And, and uh, hey, I understand where you're coming from. And I believe with Madden going for Texas and McLeod going for State, it is going to be a situation where runs are at a premium. And when you start looking at TCU staff, who is built on starting pitching, Texas Tech has big-time arms, big-time starting pitching. You can ill afford an error at third base to kill you. You can't you can't give up two runs on a, a ground ball to third. You can't do it. And so, but you're trying to find some kind of pop in the order to try to manufacture and get some runs. And so that's that's a tough question right now that Chris Lamonis and his staff have got to answer. Well, the other thing that's always interesting to see is to what degree do the young guys just get thrown into the deep end of the pool and how much do you let them take the ladder into the shallow end? You know, we, we talked to Jake Mangum a couple of days ago. Jake Mangum, one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State, and what do you tell you about that opening game? I went over 4 and I airmailed third base on a throw, and I, then I got buried. Obviously, his career turned out all right, but it was amazing. Even going back, I picked up Joe Deere tweeted out earlier this week a box score from the first game in 1987, and you see Burke Masters like 0 for 3, Jody Hurst doesn't play, all these guys who now were thinking all-time Mississippi State greats and 0 for, 0 for, Burke Masters commits an error. You know, so it's still, even for an all-time great, those first games can be really tough against a Birmingham Southern. Yeah. What is it when you're playing Texas, Texas Tech, TCU? Of course, in the outfield, then the question mark stays on that left side. It's in left field. What do you do in left field? You've got some options. Is it a Brad Cumbest? Is it a Pimentel? I mean, the guy we haven't talked about, Braden Skinner, and we talked about him a couple of weeks ago playing possibly some in center field. He's out with an injury over the next few weeks. What does that do to you in left field? I think Chris Lamonis is going to play the matchup there. But once again, you go back to something we talked about at third base. Where are you going to go if you need defense late in the ballgame? Is it Pimentel or Cumbest? Probably not. So it's going to be interesting to see who might else be the answer there. Where's your DH? I mean, who's your, who's your odd man out DH? Is it a catcher? Is it at third? Could it be in left field? That's the question. Of course, then you've got Rowdy Jordan in center field and over in right field, Tanner Allen. So T.A. will be in right. And then behind the plate, Luke Hancock, Logan Tanner, I tried to call him Tanner Logan a couple of times last year. We all year. fight that, don't yeah, we? we fight it hard, fight it hard. But with, here's the thing. We've got pieces to the puzzle, and everybody's talked about this. You know, where are these guys going to bat in the lineup? You know Rowdy Jordan's going to be your one guy. You, you kind of know what you're going to see at the top of the order, but what you begin to wonder is what you're going to see at seven and eight, you know, down in that order. Who's going to bat five? Those are just questions that, hey, we're going to have to play ball and, and just see. Well, and something you've pointed out about Chris Lamonis too, this is not a guy who gives up on people, and he's not a guy who's scared to look down his bench. It's a very different mindset than what we grew up watching, where you showed up every day and you didn't have to ask what the lineup was because it was what it was the day before and the week before that and the month before that. I love the fact that Chris Lamonis willing to let guys improve throughout the course of a year. 
So when Charlie and I come back, we'll take a look at the Bulldog opponents this weekend, the Longhorns of Texas, the Horn Frogs of TCU, and then the Texas Tech Red Raiders right here on Out of Left Field. Of course, we're brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They've got agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Here's the positive, Charlie, the other day. I talked about frying those catfish the other night. I had country pleasing for breakfast. I had heartland catfish for dinner. And thank goodness I have yet to use my Farm Bureau insurance. <laughs> well, hey, look, we talked about this weather, and this is one of those times where, you know, Farm Bureau has some of the best rates going, but this is one of those times when service matters. We talk about separation points in the season of baseball. This is a separation point for insurance companies. All that's been going on, it's nice to know you got Farm Bureau that you can call. And you've got somebody that's local that's going to come out and look at your property. You haven't got to do it all over the phone. We're just a number. So Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. And, Charlie, let's talk about the teams we're going to play this weekend or scheduled to play this weekend with Texas, TCU, and Texas Tech. We talked just a minute ago about us. And, of course, we're brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Go by and check them out. They've been closed a little bit this week with uh, with all the ice and everything, but they've got everything back opened up at the Country Meat Packers in Florence on Highway 49. But I had some uh, – some jalapeno cheddar just the other morning in the great country-pleasing sausage. I went by three local grocers this week here in town, and all three had it displayed prominently. And so go by and check out that great Mississippi product brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing and Country Meat Packers. Okay, Charlie, here's the thing that stands out to me about these early season tournaments. Just because you see a team go three and zero or two and one or one and two, and the other teams go two and zero, it's all—it's not apples and apples. No, no but, not but, at all. Because the team that we're going to see in Texas on Friday is not going to be the same Texas team on Saturday and on Sunday as well, and vice versa. Who you play on Sunday is not going to be the same as they were on Friday or Saturday. It's, it's just the way that these opening season tournaments work because who you have on the bump is a big determining factor of how well a team is. Absolutely. Very much unlike basketball, for example. We hear it said all the time about sports being games of matchups. That is never more true than in baseball when it's all about who's on the mound. So at the end of the day, look, obviously you want to go 3-0, and but the worst thing you can do is start comparing yourself to other people on your side, so to speak. First game, Texas, 11 o'clock Saturday morning. The matchup of Christian McLeod, and then when, when you look at what Texas has coming back with Ty Madden, he's a top-five pick. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- this is a guy that's dynamic. He has a big-time arm. He is the prototypical – Friday guy in all of college baseball. And so that's why you start talking about matchups and what you're going to see Chris Lamonis do against probably one of the best, if not the best, collegiate pitcher. You can't pick up an All-American team and not find his name listed. He's basically in all of them. He's on the Golden Spikes list. He's I mean, he's not unbeatable, but he's really good. He did pitch in against an SEC team last year. He got a win against Arkansas. Gave up three runs in six innings, so not – Terribly untouchable necessarily, but look, 
here's what you're going to deal with in Ty Madden. This is a guy who's got four pitches, and he can run the fastball. He's going to live 93 to 96, but he can touch seven and eight with it. Slider, changeup, curveball. He's got an arsenal. He's a big right-hander, and look, it's going to be tough. Runs are going to be at a premium. David Pierce, the head coach at Texas. Here's the thing that's really scared me about David Pierce being at Texas is because what do you hear in all the other sports? And it's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys syndrome in the NFL. Sometimes your facilities are too nice. Sometimes you are given too much. And what does that make you at times? The appearance on the outside looking in is sometimes your athletes may be a little soft. David Pierce came from Tulane. He's a blue-collar guy. And you always worry – about Texas athletes, because you ask yourself the question, why is Texas not competing year in and year out? And I know they're always in the top 15. They're always in the top 20, but they're never at the elite. They're not the Vanderbilt. They're not the, you know, TCU has had a better run than Texas has over the last 15 to 20 years. I mean, I know Texas, you mix in that national championship they have, but you start looking in the state of Texas and you ask yourself the question, why have they not been as good? And what worries you is if you get a coach who really doesn't cater to that prima donna lifestyle. David Pierce is a blue-collar guy, and I think Texas is going to win. I think they're going to be a good program over the next five, ten years. If you look at Texas historically, obviously it's a, a proud tradition. Look, six national championships, there are regionals every year. But as you say, over the past 15, 16 years, have kind of not really been there with TCU and some of the other teams there. Pierce is an interesting guy. He has basically spent his entire career coaching in, and in the case of Tulane, well, I'll say around Texas. He's been very close. He was at Sam Houston State, was the head coach there. He was an assistant coach at Rice. He's been around. He's a guy who's got a hitting philosophy. He's not a pitching coach. But if you look, he's an old high school guy, too. This is a guy who just kind of came up through the system. He knows Texas players, and the guy knows how to coach. Hey, I'm always scared of a guy who knows how to write the infield. Because let me tell you something. If you're a high school coach and if you coach at Sam Houston State, you know how to write the infield. And the guys that are head coaches that know how to write the infield are big-time coaches. And that's what kind of worries you there. So Texas matchup, first game. Hey, one little interesting note, too, by the way. If you look at Mississippi State, what would you say as far as position players? You feel pretty good about what you've got in center and in right and at first base. Texas is going to mix in some new guys, but they are solid in right and first base, a lot like Mississippi State. They've got a fifth-year senior and a fourth-year junior playing those spots. Austin Todd, the right fielder, I mean, the guy can hit. He's got pop. He's an all-Big 12 player. And then you've got an all-Big 12 player and Zach Zubia playing first base. Another guy with some pop. They've both been there. It's a team that's going to pitch it well, better starters than in the bullpen, but they're going to hit, and they're going to be a lot like Mississippi State. By the way, you know who an assistant coach at Texas is? Who's that? Troy Tulowitzki. Really? Yeah, how about that? Hmm. Hey, here's the thing about Texas is they're pretty much locked in on their one and two guys. I mean, they're one-two punch with Madden, and then they've got a left-hander, Pete Hansen, probably one of the better one-two punches in the country. Now, we know Vandy has lighter and rocker, so there's a good one-two punch there as well. But they're still trying to figure out who their Sunday guy is going to be, and, of course, that really doesn't affect us at all. But, uh, you know, Texas with Madden out there, you kind of wonder – you just wonder, if there's a lot of injuries in college baseball. We'll talk about that with, with Texas Tech in just a minute. They're beginning to crop up right now as teams are kind of getting pitching ready for the season. You kind of wonder, 
if this matchup of McLeod and Madden, how long these coaches are going to let these two guys go when you start talking about the fifth or the sixth inning. I don't look for either one of these guys to go eight or nine. No, absolutely not. And for Mississippi State, why would you? Because you feel really good at what you've got behind McLeod. All right, TCU, the opponent on Sunday. Of course, all of our games are 11 a.m. We play 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, 11 a.m. on Sunday, 11 a.m. on Monday now, everything being pushed back this week. So what's your uh, what's your thoughts about the, the Horned Frogs? Have you ever seen Roadhouse? You ever I seen? have not. You never – what? No, never you, have. You've got to be kidding me. No. Nope. Get out of here. Patrick's – Patrick Swayze, I know, but yeah, no, not for me. Okay. I'm, all right, folks, we appreciate it. I'm locking this stuff down. I'm cutting the studio off. I'm, I'm getting out of here. Okay, so he had a he had a motion when he used to, to grab a guy's throat. It looks like what they do, that horned frog in the hand. Okay, I'm sorry. You don't understand. Boy, everybody in Texas has to have one of those hand signals, don't they? Pistols firing. That's yeah. Oklahoma State. But they, but Texas Tech you has guns them. up at yeah. Texas Tech. and Hook them horns. Hook them horns. And SMU's the worst. they got the pony ears. Yeah, Texas A&M, they just hug each other. Don't yeah, they hug really each other? It's really strange. Yeah, okay. TCU, what are your thoughts on TCU? This is as veteran a team as you're going to find in college baseball. If you look at their projected lineup, you've got five guys who are fifth-year seniors. You've got another guy who's a fourth-year junior. You will not find a team that has more experience than TCU this year. They're balanced pitching-wise. They've got some good starters. They've got good on the back end. It's just a team that's been around, and that's something you and I talked about a couple of times this year of in this season, what is going to separate the teams and kind of feel like experience just as much as perhaps talent, because everybody's talented. And if if that's to be the case, TCU could have a really good year. Here's the question I have about TCU, and it's one of the things that Jim Schlossnagel has not come out and said yet, but who's going to be his starting pitcher in day two? Because who's going to be game one, who's going to be game two? That's going to tell you a whole lot about it, because they've got a couple of guys at the top of their rotation. Russell Smith, that big, tall, he's 6'9", and he's a huge guy. Big, tall guy. and Second year off Tommy John, too. And so he was pretty good last year and year one back. But what do we you, – you made this exact point last week. What is it? It's year two off Tommy John that somebody's really good. Absolutely. And then you've got Johnny Ray. Yeah, he's a first-round type talent. Johnny Ray has had a – has been very good in his career. He can run it up there in a hurry, too. 96, 97. He's the type of guy that if he's locating – if he's locating, he's first-round-type talent. And so that's what you could possibly see in the Sunday matchup. Could you see a Will Bednar, Johnny Ray? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I I just have the feeling we're going to see Smith, the lefty. But, you know, because if you look at Mississippi State, if TCU wants to play matchups, what we talked about, we're going to be pretty good from the left side, still looking for a couple of guys to, to hit from the right. So that's the question, Mark. What you see on the mound with TCU, you, you expect to see the lefty? And Smith, I don't know. Yeah. You could you could see Johnny Ray. It's going to be a toss of the coin, and that's one of the things you just don't know. And both those guys pitched 21 innings last year. Both of them had sub 2.6 ERAs. They're both good. And, yeah. And, but I think if I were facing Mississippi State, I think I would probably try to throw a left-hander against us. Oh, yeah. Middle of the order. When you start talking about T.A., Hatcher, some of those guys, I, I would definitely throw the lefty right now, early in the year. and Hey, we're going to find out if State's got a right-handed power stick. Yeah, we're in a hurry. Texas Tech, 
last game Monday. Hey, we beat them twice last year. What's the problem? Yeah, let's let's rain that one out. <laughs> hey, but it's, what's funny is is you start trying to figure out okay who's going to be teams you know third guys and for Texas Tech their third guy the guy that we would possibly see on Monday is someone we saw last year and that's the left hander Montgomery. Yeah, and was what effective for a little while and then we got to him what fifth sixth inning. He was the guy we saw on Wednesday. The, you know, the first guy we saw down there was Hunter Dobbins, who was expected to be one of their big-time rotation guys. He's out for the year with Tommy John, and they've had some issues. You know, Birdsell's going to be their number one guy. Dallas, but then Mason Montgomery, you know, had 33-point ERA last year, 20 strikeouts and four starts, and one of those starts was against us. But we really pitched well last year. When you start talking about Houston Harding, he's a guy we haven't talked about. Houston Harding was so good. Uh, for state last year, the midweek, I think he was a Tuesday night guy, and then on Wednesday, Carlisle Kessler pitched against Texas Tech, and so those were some big pitching matchups. We kind of got the Montgomery in the middle innings down there, and so we're probably going to see him another lefty in the Monday game. Yeah, and so all of a sudden, you, again, you start lining up matchups, and we're going to find out what Mississippi State can do at the right-handed side of the plate. So state against Texas, TCU, and Texas Tech in that order scheduled to play Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. All three of these could be Omaha teams. All six of these teams could be Omaha teams. Yeah, this is just a phenomenal lineup. I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was trying to go back, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this because we're playing in it, but I'm trying to think, has there been a preseason tournament that matches anything like this? And I think that's one of the reasons that the State Farm and the organizers of this tournament really, really want this thing to happen is because – this is as good a tournament as I can ever recall because he used to play that to play a tournament in Houston or still do, but it, I, I can't remember anything Big 12 versus SEC where you've got six teams that are ranked as high as these six teams are. I can't recall anything this of this magnitude in college baseball this early in the year. No, I think this could be the best weekend of baseball that we'll see all the way until the SEC tournament. Charlie, when we come back, we'll talk with Gene Morgan a guy that was the last guy on the mound when Mississippi State played Texas back in 1985 in the College World Series. And Gene Morgan, now living in the Atlanta area, was a big compliment. We talked about it a moment ago, a big compliment to what Jeff Brantley was on that right side of that 1984-85 team. So this segment's been brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing, Country Pleasing Sausage. Go and check them out at Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence. And they sell that great Country Pleasing Sausage throughout the southeast at any of your local grocer. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, you can pick it up in your local grocer. Charlie, I made the statement the other day when we had all the ice and everything, still got ice here in downtown Startwell, that I was going to have a fish fry. So I get outside on Wednesday and start my fish fry with my Heartland Catfish, and it starts snowing very hard, and then it starts sleeting very hard and then I had to move it inside to my wood shop and so then I was scared with my heartland catfish that I was going to burn down every piece of woodworking that I've been working on but anyway made it through it was fantastic 
And one of the great things about Heartland, not only are they in the grocery stores, but throughout the restaurants in the South. And if you're going over to Texas this weekend, if we play baseball this weekend, just about on every corner in Dallas-Fort Worth, they've got a place that's called the Golden Chick. You've been to the Golden Chick, haven't you? Yes, I have. Golden Chick, they serve Heartland catfish. And so when you're in the Metroplex of Dallas this weekend, go by the Golden Chick, get you some Heartland catfish. And this week's guest line segment brought to you by Heartland Catfish. And let's go to the guest line where former Bulldog right-hander Gene Morgan joins us. Gene Morgan pitched at Mississippi State, of course, 1984-1985. Gene, we appreciate you joining us here on the out of left field. Oh, I appreciate you asking. I'm looking forward to it. Gene, you look back at your time in Starkville. You came in as a junior college transfer, and one of the things we like to ask everybody we talked to that came through here, how did you wind up at Mississippi State? You look back in the 19, early 1980s under Coach Ron Polk and what he was building. What lured you to Starkville? You may or may not believe this, but first part you will. Now, I played at uh, Middle Georgia under Coach Sapp, who actually coached with Polk at Georgia Southern. You know, back then there was no internet. You didn't video yourself and send it off. And so I got a um, call to come out for a visit based on Coach Sapp's call to Coach Polk. I didn't even know anything about Mississippi State at that time. I went in the middle of the summer. There was no baseball, no football, no basketball, no softball, no kickball. <laughs> I mean, there was nothing going on. The campus was empty. So, uh, Coach Polk took me around to the um, coaches, basketball coach, football coach, and round town to some of the some of the big supporters of state. And what made my decision was that everybody I talked to was genuinely kind. They and they genuinely loved their baseball. Uh, like I said, I didn't even know anything about state at that time. So he offered me a scholarship, and out of courtesy, I said, "Well, let me call my mom." <laughs> so I, uh, I called her and and told her that I was going to be going to Mississippi State. Gene, you look back at that 1985 season that we still talk about so much here in Starville. We had you and Jeff Brantley pitching back to back, and your ERAs that you're virtually identical. What made you guys so successful? Was it the contrast in pitching styles? What led to you guys having both having such special years on the mound? Uh, let's start with Jeff. Jeff was a uh, mainly a four-seamer, came over the top, and before every game, I played pepper with him and catch and stuff like that. He had a heavy ball. I'm, I'm sure you've heard that term. When he hit your glove, it felt like a brick. And he was great at moving the ball up and down. Uh, had a great breaking pitch, and he just had tremendous control, you know, through in the high 80s, low 90s. But me, I was a mid-80s. Uh, with a tailing fastball, and I had to be accurate on the corners. I didn't go up very much because I was afraid to tail back down into letters high, but I had I had learned from my dad back when I was a teenager and um, playing catch out in the front yard, and if I threw a bad pitch and it went down the street, I had to run and get it. So I learned quickly that I had to hit the mitt or I'm running down the street after the ball. So um, I did a lot of control, accuracy, pinpointing pitches, and that's what got me through. Uh, I felt comfortable throwing any of my four pitches in just about any count. So 
yes, you, you nailed it on the head. We are a real contrast. You know, he's the high heater, and I come in with, you know, knee-high breaking balls and tailing fastballs, and, and we just really seem to complement each other. Talking to former Bulldog Gene Morgan, and Gene, back in 2008, Mississippi State had a had a guy on the mound against Ole Miss, and he was a, an out away from a no-hitter. Ricky Bowen was his name, and here's the thing about it. When you start peeling through the record books at Mississippi State, the last time a Bulldog threw a no-hitter, it says Gene Morgan against Hawaii Hilo. What do you recall right. about that, that special day out on the island throwing that last no-hitter from Mississippi State pitcher? Oh, it was a great feeling. I didn't really think about it much till like the fifth or sixth inning, and I got to tell you, there were some great defensive plays out in the field. Gator made a made a uh, nice play that kind of bounced over second base and did a jump throw to first. Uh, Van Cleve made a diving catch in center. So the defense really saved me several times during that game. But I just remember being really muggy and real humid. I sweat a lot. But I forgot about all that after that last strike went over. Hey, you talk about the defense, and one of the guys that – really isn't talked about as much around here. And you mentioned you know, throwing sinker ball and working down in the zone. I've heard a lot of the guys talk about a guy by the name of Bobby Parker. And, of course, he was a shortstop in 1984. What made Bobby Parker so good? He was a bulldog, man. He, the, the guy was tough as nails. He would take ground balls after practice. And he was a nut off the field. And in the, uh, in the dugout sometimes before games, but game time on, he was just – Nothing got by him, and uh, wasn't a big fella, but he had a real strong arm and made uh, made all the plays, made all the routine plays, and then some some that were uh, in the holes or up the middle. So he was a really good shortstop. You know, Gene, we talk so much about the 1985 team because it made it to Omaha, but 1984 was a, a really good team in its own right. As you look back, how close to that 85 team was the 84 club? I don't recall a whole lot about 84. I know I struggled. Coach McMahon made a change in my delivery, so I had a sore back for several weeks. And then I went back to my old fundamentals and kind of got it back near the end of the season. But I know we had some good guys on the team, but I really don't remember a whole lot about how we did, except for playing at the University of New Orleans, UNO. Clark, we had had a big thunderstorm around us, and Clark hit a ball so far it went out of sight in the clouds. They were so low. <laughs> you talked about the guy from 2008 within one out. In 84, I came to within one out of no hit, no miss. Really? And they brought in a pitch hitter, and he hit, hits a little blooper over second base. Right before that was a ground ball for double play. Gator booted, pretty well hit ground ball. And after the guy got his hit, he comes over with his shoulders hunched over. He said, Gene, I'm sorry. Man, don't worry about it. That's baseball. <laughs> anyway, I, you mentioned that about Ole Miss. I, I just thought I'd throw that in. In 1985, obviously, I know you've been asked a lot about the Texas game. And, of course, Mississippi State playing Texas for the first time since then this coming weekend. I'm curious, the game that I remember in addition to that game, listening on the radio as you got the no-hitter at Hawaii Hilo, was I remember Oklahoma State and Pete Incavilli and those guys just being baffled by your movement and, you know, what they were calling a sinker ball, at least on TV. What do you remember about that game? I remember hours. uh, Coach Mack had a a game on video, VHS. I don't know if you guys remember VHS. Uh, But 
uh, I sat for hours and watched that game, and I knew how I was going to pitch every batter before the game started. It was very mentally stressful, and I was pretty nervous because I think they hit four something as a team. Uh, and of course, you had Pete Nicovilla, but you had a, a, a bunch of other guys that were singles and doubles hitters, and they just got on base. So I, I don't know. Maybe they just weren't to that kind of movement, changing speeds, throwing curveballs two and one or sliders. I don't know. I was I was very surprised. But as each inning went on, I got more and more confident and uh, held Incavitia to two singles and a strikeout. Hey, well, I remember walking into that game bar. My father looked at me and said, Incavitia's got no chance with Gene Morgan. <laughs> really? Oh, and hey, that's that was not the easiest ballpark. Rosenblatt sitting on top of that hill. I mean, that was a hitter's ballpark. Oh, absolutely, especially with those bats uh, before BB Core. Okay, so I guess we we have to ask the question that next time out. I mean, you started game one of the World Series against Oklahoma State, then Brantley comes back, pitches well against Arkansas, and then we're sitting in the winner's bracket against Texas, and you were just cruising. And this is one of those I remember being a kid. I mean, I had two ankles. I would have given you one. Uh, <laughs> that line drive you know, right back up the middle. Take us back to that moment. You know, so many people have talked about that that moment of Mississippi State history. You stayed in the game, but did you think it was broken at the time? Uh, when it hit me, yeah, I went back and watched the tape and did slow-mo. And I didn't do it on purpose, but I, I saw where the ball was coming, and I shifted my weight to the right. So I feel like if my foot had been planted firmly, it probably would have broke it. But, uh, yeah, I, I was trying to hit the outside corner and it tailed over to the outer third of the plate and he hit it and I didn't have time to get my glove down but the good thing was it hit right on the inside ankle bone so there's no there's no muscle there's no meat so it just hit bone and so um trainer put the freeze rate on there and I was nervous about planning on it but when I did it didn't hurt it just took me a batter to get more confident that it wasn't going to hurt and I never felt it the rest of the game. Um, it's in that, in that, I think it was, I got out of that inning and then got the first two outs in the next game. They had back to back to back doubles opposite field close to the line. Um, then they got an out. So I was going into, I think, the sixth inning. They just had some timely hits. They just started going, going with the pitch. And I think there was only one hard hit ball, but they were just in the right place. And then we had, down first and second, and there was a, a ball hit to Frank. It was a bad hop. Then the floodgates opened. You know, as you look back, that seemed like such a special group of guys uh, and obviously a close-knit bunch. Are you able to get back over for reunions or to, to keep up with the former teammates? Yes, I went back a couple of, couple of weekends to you know just watch games, and then I did go back for, uh, for the reunion. And <laughs> Mitt who was my bullpen buddy. I was standing there talking, and I looked, looked at this guy and said, I said, what, what's your name? He goes, I'm Mitch. He had slimmed down. He's running marathons. I didn't even recognize him. <laughs> so most of, you know, most everybody you could recognize, and it was good, good talking to guys. And, and uh, obviously they kind of got off into their uh, guys that they hung out with during the season and, and stuff. So we, uh, we had a good time. That was a very well- uh, organized and a great time at that reunion. Before we let you go, one of the things Charlie and I 
you know, coming to ball games growing up. When Ron Polk was here, we had a game, we had a song that we'd play right as soon as we finished up the warm up drills. It was proud to be a Bulldog from good old MSU. Now, word has it, did your dad write that song? Yes. It was based off, um, I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. If you remember that song? Oh, yeah. But yeah, he put the lyrics to that, that melody or that, that music. And uh, yeah, he wrote it. He sent me with a cassette tape to talk to Coach Polk and asked him if he liked it and would he play it. And um, Coach Polk said, heck yeah. He said, you know, make the, you know, if you make the records, we'll, you know, we'll play it and can put them in the concession stand or whatever to sell. <laughs> but then he had a, a bunch of records made, and um, I didn't know they were going to play it before every game. But it was uh, it was pretty cool to hear hear my dad coming over the loudspeaker before the game. Hey, listen, we appreciate your time today. Great to talk with you. Big weekend this weekend, Mississippi State playing Texas TCU and Texas Tech, and of course that. You're the last guy to, to draw a start on the mound against Texas. we got a guy, a left-hander named Christian McLeod, going on Saturday against the Longhorns. And so, hey, we appreciate you hanging out with us this afternoon. Yes, sir. Charlie, Mark, I, I appreciate you inviting me in. And go Bulldogs. Gene Morgan, Bulldog pitcher at 1984-1985. Charlie, you said it just a moment ago. He was that perfect compliment to Jeff Brantley. When you start talking about, you know, you're looking back at what he did, he was very similar to a Greg Maddox type right hander, a guy that really worked the corners, a guy that got, it was all about control, it was all about movement, and he had outstanding control, and he was a big time college pitcher. He absolutely was. And if you go back, his personality on the mound was so different than Brantley. They were very different, not just in the way they threw the baseball, but in the, their mannerisms, the way they acted. You know, Brantley was that bulldog of a personality. He was the guy that kind of stared down the hitter a little bit, who had a little swagger to him. Morgan was a little more like a professor. You know, he, he very much had that Greg Maddox just kind of work the baseball, and you heard him talk about it, hitting his spots, having control. Tony, he could get some downward movement on a baseball that could make people look silly. It was almost like a, a right-handed Ross Mitchell. Is that a good assessment? You know, Ross was kind of that ho-hum out there on the mound, you know, and he worked it really well from the left side. And Gene Morgan was kind of that right-handed version of that. Now, he threw it harder than, than Ross Mitchell, but he had good movement. He worked the corners, and uh, it, it was really good to talk with him. We've heard so many great stories, and – you know, he said it just a moment ago, and I mean, I think, I don't know if he tries to take too much away from it, Charlie, but you ask Will Clark, Rafael Palmero, Jeff Brantley, they all say Morgan getting hit in the ankle may have been the, the turning factor in winning a national championship in 1985, but he sit there and says, hey, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Well, I, I know this. I was in the stadium when it happened, and something changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, the air came out of that place. And all of a sudden, Texas, he talks about those back-to-back-to-back doubles, and the place just became electric the other way. It just took all the air out. And so, in my heart, Bart, that will always be the difference. Yep. He was trying to downplay it, no doubt. I would have given him my left ankle. But, you know, that's what you would expect from a guy who was a competitor. He wasn't going to go make an excuse and say, hey, we lost because I got hit. But it was different. No doubt. And that uh, guest line segment brought to you by Heartland Catfish. 
over in the Mississippi Delta. Make sure if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, go by the Golden Chick Restaurants all throughout the, the DFW area, Metroplex, and uh, get that Heartland Catfish at the Golden Chick. Back with more on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And back for a final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. That was good stuff from Gene Morgan. That was good stuff. And a guy that has been talked about so much, but been talked to so little. Have you yeah. ever heard anybody interview Gene Morgan? No, I've seen a Rick Cleveland interview with him a couple of years ago. And and Rick does a nice job with a lot of a lot of those guys. And But as far as just hearing him talk a lot, he talked about coming back to the reunion a few years ago. Remember when we had that 85 reunion a few years ago? And that's when they did the documentary of Thunder and Lightning. But he came back for that. But, but no, it's kind of crazy that, that we don't hear. Because he was a big part. He was a huge part of that 1985 team. Charlie, real quick before we get out of here, you and I were part of a, a call the other day. The SEC does a really good job each and every year. Paul Gillier, who is over all the umpires, gets all the media people together, and we talk about rule changes. And this is the year one of a two that you have rule changes. And, of course, with COVID and things of that nature, you do have some rule changes this year. What's the one thing that stands out to you? And we'll talk about this as we get into the season. What's the thing that really stands out to you about any of the rule changes that you may see this year? There are two. Number one, we're going to put a stop to coaches announcing a pitcher as the designated hitter. Tim Corbin. Yeah, we're putting a stop to that. So That's Mickey Mouse, man. Your announced DH is going to have to take an at-bat unless there is a pitching change. So I suppose it's not necessarily true that he'll get an at-bat, but it's basically going to happen. The one for me that's going to cause a lot of consternation this year is they have changed the rule as it deals with a drop third strike. Basically, if the catcher doesn't handle it cleanly, the ball rolls out in front of the plate, if the runner, even unintentionally, interferes at all with the catcher's ability to make the play, he's out. And the runner, if on base, has got to hold. And to me, that's the big thing right there. To me, the runner on base has to hold. And so what you're going to do is it's going to be kind of like the hit by pitch. You're going to put it in the in the hands of the umpire to try to determine, some in some of these cases, of whether it was intentional by the batter. And so you've got a guy on second base. To me, there's the big issue is the guy, you know, touches the ball trying to run the first base, and you've got a runner already set at second. And say he just tips it just a tad. If I'm the catcher, I'm just immediately turning to the umpire saying, I've got no play. And that guy who's taken third very easily has got to go back to second. Yeah, And the runner's out. And you coach your catcher, if the ball rolls out in front of you, just – truck the batter yeah run into the batter run him over before he gets out of the box do it claim interference no runners can advance even on a pitch in the dirt here's another thing that stood out to me is about the pop-up around the plate or in foul territory that if a batter pops a ball up and a defensive player is running and stands on the bat if he falls on the bat or he touches the bat the batter is automatically out whether it's a fair ball foul ball it doesn't matter even if you drop, even if you pop a ball straight up and you set the the bat down in the batter's box, and the catcher steps on it, you're automatically out. So, are you, if if you pop a ball up down the first baseline or right around the plate, are you not teaching your batter carry hold, it, carry it to first base? Yeah, and are you not teaching your catcher to go kick a bat or two? 
you know, I understand that rule if it's a bat that you're slinging, if you're trying to put it into the bat flip kind of stuff. But if you drop it straight down, that to me seems... Yeah, I know. I mean, if you had a pop-up behind the plate, the catcher's running over toward the first base dugout, and all of a sudden I toss my bat in that direction, hopefully he's going to trip over it. You know, that's one thing. But anyway, those are just some of the few things, and, and they're trying to clean up a little bit as far as pitching, and, you know, whether you're from the stretch or the wind-up, you have to declare. We'll talk about a lot of those rule changes as we go. Hey, good show today. It feels great to be back in baseball mode. I mean, last year we thought we were interview, 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 and it was great. I enjoyed the heck out of it. But, man, I am so ready for baseball. Hey, next week when we do this show, we will have broadcast the game, hopefully. Yeah, we certainly will. And, by the way, Sunday morning we'll be back together. So check us out. We'll be talking about the game one. Looking forward to game two. Sunday coffee, then next week without a left field. Busy week for Mississippi State. Everything, is, as we said, pushed back Saturday, Sunday, Monday, as hopefully we'll play baseball in the Metroplex of the Dallas area in Arlington and then be back next week in the midweek. Schedule right now for Tuesday, Wednesday against Jackson State. You kind of wonder if everything's pushed back a day and through Monday of what that does to that Tuesday game. But, of course, check out HailState.com and Check us out on Twitter. I'm sure all of us in the media department will be sending out any kind of text, tweets, anything you could possibly want. But, hey, good show. Gene Morgan was awesome. It's good to be back in baseball mode. The dogs in Arlington this weekend. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.